I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today, we are talking about Soul, the 2020 Pixar film directed by Pete Docter and co-directed by Kemp Powers, screenplay by Pete Docter, Mike Jones, and Kemp Powers. I'm joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Arant. Hello, everybody. Brand Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. This is our first episode of 2021, our 2021 season. Yay! Happy New Year, everybody. Woo! We made it. <laughs> it's all going to be fine now. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's perfect. Everything's great. Really quick, before we jump into uh, the movie, there's a lot to talk about, but I want to remind people that every month on Patreon, we release a patron-exclusive episode, and our December episode on Tenet is available now. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Tenet, sign up for Patreon. <laughs> we had some thoughts we had thoughts <laughs> it's a fun one yep. <laughs> i enjoyed listening back to it <laughs> and uh because we hit our goal of 500 patrons in december it means that we will be starting our lord of the rings trilogy of podcasts and we're already deep in the re-watching of these films there are, there's so much lord of the rings to watch <laughs> uh so three <laughs> lord of the rings episodes and then a patron exclusive on the hobbit trilogy which is going to be Lots of fun. Uh, so lots of things happening over on Patreon and coming up soon. But for now, Soul. So I loved Soul. It's a great movie. And there's lots of things that I think we all want to talk about. There's really powerful existential themes at play, kind of spiritual ideas, the structure. There's just always fun story structure stuff to talk about with a Pixar movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, the style, the visuals, the music, all of that. Um, so... I think, first of all, I just want to kind of go around and get everyone's like quick impressions. Like, what did you think of Soul? Brian, what did you think of Soul? Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, definitely knowing that it was Pete Docter, um, who, you know, also did Inside Out and one um, of the others, up. Monsters up. Inc. and Up, right? Yeah. So like <laughs> sort of the, the, the heavy hitter there. Um, <laughs> Cry yeah, Factory. Right. It just it just felt like... Um, solid Pixar, you know, everything from the animation to to the humor, just like all mm -hmm. the it's almost like watching like the office or arrested development where it's like if you're not paying attention you're going to miss that little throwaway joke at the end that's like the funniest thing in the scene. Mm -hmm. To like the the darkness and the sort of seriousness of, you know, the lost souls and the and mm -hmm. and the, and then into the the, the philosophy of it all of just what yeah. what is the meaning of life like um <laughs> and uh, and yeah i just thought it, it did a really uh, a really great job of all that and it was just it was a really fun watch but also something that just was very heartfelt and and thought-provoking mm -hmm. yeah absolutely uh alex what did you think i know you liked it a lot yeah i mean it's probably my favorite pixar movie if that wow. tells you wow. something <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's Step down, good dinosaur. <laughs> Back up cars, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's hard to even know where to start. I just I was in love with the film from very early on. I think it's just it's a gorgeous film. I I felt like it was doing for jazz what Ratatouille did to fine dining. And mm. Ratatouille is also one of my favorite Pixar films. So mm -hmm. there's something about these films that are just kind of like they're so in love with something. And the love is just coming through so powerfully like i just respond to that a lot and then ultimately where the film goes and and the themes it deals with are the themes that i'm most interested in and you know just in life but also when when a movie is able to like tackle these themes in not a shallow way but but mm -hmm. actually take me on an experience of almost having like 
the kind of experience I would have on a meditation retreat or, you know, where you actually kind of reflect on life and like, what does it mean? You know, <laughs> a lot of movies have like the surface veneer of like profundity or like we're going to, this is about life. I mean, I think, Michael, you mentioned uh, a lot that The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is one of your like favorites that mm -hmm. most people don't like very much. And mm -hmm. that movie to me, I should watch it again. Like when it ended, there was a, like a montage of characters and some lines about like some people play music, some people dance, like some people do this. And I felt like it was trying to do what Soul actually did for me. Where, oh. where when there's <laughs> when there is like a montage of, you know, 22 through Joe's eyes, like seeing the world kind of in this childlike way and just appreciating the small moments. I feel like it, it accomplished what the end of Benjamin Button maybe accomplished for you when a movie can actually do that. Like in Benjamin Button, I was kind of detached and I was like, I see what you're doing. And that's like, that's cool that you're trying to do that, but I'm not feeling it. So like it didn't work. I was feeling it in soul. I cried multiple times. <laughs> it just like yeah. hit me in those, in that really deep place. And anytime a movie does right. that, it just, it becomes one of my favorites because mm. most movies don't make me cry. And when they make me cry like multiple times, <laughs> it's like, you did it. You won. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it achieves it, not just intellectually, but emotionally, it makes you feel that right. Yeah. Like it, it got gave me the full body experience as opposed to the, just the brain interpretation. Right. Yeah, I literally don't actually remember the end of Benjamin Button. I don't. That's definitely not my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was expecting you to defend its honor. Right. Like, no, I, I can't remember. I barely remember what Alex is talking about. And I just watched it recently. But we'll talk about <laughs> Benjamin Button a different time. Cool. Trisha, what about you? This movie is just so impressive. Like, and I know we're planning to talk about how it looks. And Obviously, animation is has just come so far. Like I yes. recently rewatched Toy Story from 1995. And mm. Let me tell you, it's a great movie still. It's a good experience of watching it because it's a great script and a great story, but it doesn't look like Soul. I will tell you that. <laughs> <Right>. Like <laughs> Soul is so rich in the way that you guys are describing. It's so layered. And it's going to sound weird for me to say this, but it's... I think one of Pixar's more grounded movies, like despite the fact that half of it takes place in this like abstracted world where people mm -hmm. are just like line drawings, there's so much about it that feels really grounded where the, the central characters are embodied most of the time, half the time. <laughs> when we're in New York, it's New York and it's got all of this texture to it and this sense of place and this sense of time. And it's like, really sharply observed and well rendered and it feels like it has this really nice specificity to it that doesn't also have to rely on you know animals or like <laughs> flights of fancy uh in the same way so like even something like up is about people and the central characters in up are people but they're not in they're kind of like lifted out of the real world right and sort right. of taken into this mm -hmm. like fantasy islandy kind of place where there's this magical huge dodo bird thing um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and dogs that fly planes i just really really appreciate what um soul is doing and i think that it helps give it that emotional gut punch that you're talking about alex where it's like it's not hard to imagine yourself as these people because they are so human and there is such like a, a groundedness to the story and so i had the same experience where i was just like the movie isn't asking you to make a lot of allegorical leaps 
it's just directly conversing with the human experience and like right. human psychology in like a very deliberate textual way that I think is is really beautiful. And again, it just impressive. I don't know if I would have had the courage. I would have been like, maybe let's make another movie about fish. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. It's know. brave. It's yeah, really brave it to really put yourself is. out there this yes. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does a similar thing that Inside Out does, which is we are going to just the, the thing that this movie is like about in brain world is actually the plot of the movie. Exactly. Like you literally right, have right. to find your spark. Like it's not just that's there's a character who's like unhappy and da da da. It's no, no, there is like an institute where you cannot leave until <laughs> yeah. you leave. Yeah, exactly. Michael, tell us about your experience. Well, and kind of exactly for that reason, Brian, I, I, I loved this movie because as I say all the time, I'm always looking for movies where the storytelling lessons are also just there on the surface. Yeah. And this feels kind of like a, a spiritual sequel to Inside Out in mm -hmm. many ways. Mm -hmm. I think there's like structural similarities and mirroring happening. Uh, even, you know, the second time I watched it, I was making notes like scene by scene and kind of realizing even several of the scenes, especially around the midpoint, kind of play the same way. And we can talk about that a little bit later. So yeah, I was just very impressed with the storytelling with, as you guys are saying, how it takes these abstract ideas and decides to make a movie about it. And like Inside Out requires like 20 minutes of these are the rules of this new world that we're going to establish mm -hmm. for you. And you need to learn it all, but it's got to be fun. Um, <laughs> so I was just very impressed with how they dealt with all of that. And also, like you're saying, Trisha, it's just like gorgeous. Like it feels like animation, you know, probably for a while now, Pixar has been at the point where it's like, well, we can do photorealism. Like we could make something real if we wanted to. And right. that slice of pizza is the most <laughs> realistic CG pizza I've ever seen. I'm not going to stop saying it. <laughs> now they can also, you know, really go after new ways of portraying things. And mm -hmm. so you know, the Jerry's and Terry's that work at, you know, the, the great beyond and the great before. The Mac finder faces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like that, isn't it? So I watched like a video of how they did it. And it's the super complicated thing where it's like inspired by three dimensional, like a like wire art that then you shine a light through and it creates a shadow. And mm. that two dimensional shadow then becomes the thing that they're animating. And like, it's so... <laughs> advanced and complex it creates something that you've never seen before and feels so right for this world and so visually and sonically this movie has a lot going on and obviously there was i was curious to see what the trent Reznor and atticus ross score for a pixar movie would be mm -hmm. and it was it was good i liked it <laughs> it was interesting that there were some things that were very different and then other moments where i was like this is a little dragon tattoo-y uh, but I like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got reminded of Social Network and Dragon Tattoo uh, a lot. And it's funny because when I listened to the Mank score, I thought like before Mank, before I'd even seen Mank, I was like, this sounds like Trent Atticus doing big band. And that's really weird. And then I listened <laughs> to the, the soul score before I saw the movie. And I was like, it sounds like Trent Atticus doing a Pixar movie. And that's really weird. <laughs> like It's weird how much like I, I noticed the things like the instruments or the melodies or whatever that I'm familiar with. But then in this way where I'm like, no, but that actually fits really well with this other thing. I'll get into it more later. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I was all like prepared to like sit down and listen to Brian's like lecture series on why this <laughs> scores because I just I when I think about this movie I immediately gravitate toward the jazz arrangements which I think mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. incredible um, beautiful and they're so important for 
the themes of the movie, but also like the character's journey. And we can, you know, obviously there's, it's all sort of like expressed in this lovely, um, you know, musical way with the jazz. Mm -hmm. But I don't have quite the ear that you do, Brian, for like the more... I don't know. I, I want to say it's like an abstracted score, but I know it's like it is melodic. I don't know. Can, can you educate <laughs> musically dumb people like me? I love the Trent Reznor Ross score in this film. Like it is such perfection to me. Mm. Yeah, I was I was really happy with how um, how present it was in the movie, because like some of their scores tend to be a little droney and kind of backgroundy and that kind of right. thing. Mm. And, and honestly, after Social Network, there were a few in a row where I started to get a little like they just started to blend together for me a little. I was like, okay, it's just sort of some sounds and they're doing the work they're supposed to do in the movie. But then when I listen to it, I'm not really getting much out of it. I'm like, this is just sort of in the background. And, uh, but one of my favorite scores during that time was they did, uh, they scored Leonardo DiCaprio's before the flood, uh, which is mm. a document, a climate change documentary. Mm. It's a great score. And they were on tour. So they called, uh, the band Mogwai and Gustavo Santolaya, who does the music for the last of us. And I think a lot of Ang Lee's films. Mm. And they said, can you help us out? Just write some tracks and send it to us and we'll put it to, in the movie. And then really quickly, they just started sending each other tracks and, and messing with each other's tracks. And then it made for this like really cool score that's greater than the sum of its parts where you where it really blends together. You're not like, oh, this is clearly Trent Atticus. This is clearly Mongoy. And I, I really loved that that collaboration. Then Watchmen happened where I was just like, OK, now we're like back to like total this badass the kind of like what you would expect from like the nine inch nails guys did a score <laughs> like there it is right but then i'm listening to watchmen and there's one episode that takes place in in uh the past and there's like some period jazz pieces in there and there's even like a like a song with, with like female vocals and i'm like this is this is cool they're stepping outside their comfort zone a little bit and then you get to mank where it's an entire score of big band stuff where i'm like yeah. wow and um they have conrad pope and um dan higgins who did like all the arrangement and orchestrations and all that kind of stuff they didn't do all that themselves but mm -hmm. if you listen to the demos which they put up on Bandcamp, you can hear how much work they did do to like they did actually write a lot of that jazzy stuff and uh, so that's just been really exciting to like hear their scores go from just evolution. like yeah evolution of their stuff mm -hmm. and then soul feels like this really nice coming together of all of that mm -hmm. where it's so you know you have john batiste who does who wrote all the all the jazz music and mm -hmm. he's lovely and you can listen to his score and uh separately from tretinacus like on spotify you can listen to one or the mm -hmm. other or there's a playlist where you can listen to everything together and it flows really nicely between the two but you can tell there's very little tretinacus's score in the real world and then but then their score is all in like the soul world and the moment you tell the most is when he gets the gig and he's walking and he's celebrating and it's like all this like very like vibrant jazz music and then he falls through the manhole and then it goes into like oh you know just this very <laughs> droney kind of somber music and uh so it's like this stark contrast but then it did end up you know flowing together where they did reach out to each other they thought they were going to kind of be writing the score separately and they did communicate during it to sort of so you get some john batiste tracks that are like somber piano and you get some tretinaticus tracks that have like some saxophone in them and stuff what's so beautiful to me is that it all comes together in the scene where joe is sitting at his piano mm. when he has mm -hmm. his epiphany the track is actually called epiphany uh if you want to look it on up the nose but yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> accurate there, there are very few times you hear Tranaticus's score in the real world, and if you do, it makes it's either because it's Terry 
running around. So it makes <laughs> sense. It's like a soul mm-hmm. world I character. Love that. It. Yeah. Right. Or you hear just a little bit of it when 22 is looking through her pockets and sort of kind of starting to realize her, her, her spark and everything. Mm-hmm. You just, it sort of like drifts in quietly. But then when Joe is sitting at his piano and having that montage, that's when you first hear their music come in in the real world in a big bad way, which makes sense, obviously, because now he's starting to fuse this. The score there is John Batiste playing on a Trenton Atticus track. So when he actually starts playing the mm. piano, you're hearing his That's thing. Cool. Yeah. That's so cool. it's it's a it's a beautiful track, but it how how wonderful that it's like as he is fusing as Joe is learning to fuse like the things he's learned from these two <laughs> these two planes of existence basically, then the score finally comes together and and becomes, you know, one kind of. And I feel like that is somehow transmitted in the movie because that scene when the music started playing it like just already hit me so hard i'm like what is happening here like he's just (laughs) playing the piano but something about the way this sounds and like the yeah the underscore and the piano coming on top of it is just like hitting me so hard so fast and it's it's interesting how there's something just ineffable being communicated there when those those scores come together right yeah yeah And, and then you then you hear more of their score afterwards so it's so it's like once right. that floodgate opens then it's sort of like you have that now the movie has permission to to sort of right blend everything right. you know the literal floodgate <laughs> yeah. that's that's what that scene was for yeah. me oh. <laughs> your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It speaks to what this film and so many Pixar films do well. And I feel like particularly Pete Docter, at least with Inside Out and this film, does is use just all the tools of the medium to convey the emotion and the headspace mm-hmm. of the characters. It's a very difficult thing to do. And, and so the, the thing that I was immediately struck by and is sort of the storytelling structural lesson that's on the surface here is that, you know, every protagonist has a desire, the thing that they think they want, and then they also have a need, which is the thing they actually need to become the best mm-hmm. version of themselves. And it was different terminology for those things. And in this film, it's it's super clear it's right on the surface right where mm-hmm. joe has this desire to play music and be the super successful jazz musician and it's this thing he's been working for his whole life but he's kind of become blinded by that obsession and what he needs is to realize that he's a living life right now and to just you know enjoy every moment of being alive there's that the great story that dorothea williams tells about the fish mm-hmm. at the end mm-hmm. and yeah it's really great i don't watch the movie i'm not going to repeat the story but so (laughs) one thing i was thinking about when watching it is how do you how do you get the audience on board with a desire if that's not the thing the character really needs right and certain movies it's you know there doesn't need to be that as much like groundhog day we've talked about or like phil connor's it's very clear that he needs to change so you don't like it's okay that he's kind of uh, a jerk like that's kind of where the comedy comes in and we're not supposed to like be rooting for him to be a more of a jerk. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, I feel like 
you want to be with the protagonist. You want to be with them in their desire because the desire is the thing that's driving the plot forward. The same thing as Inside Out, where Joy wants to make sure that Riley is happy. And it's like, well, yeah, like who, who could argue with that? Yeah. That? <laughs> and so I think in this movie, the desire to, you know, reach your full potential and play music and this thing that you love is just on the surface, a, a pretty relatable goal. Like we all have things that we mm-hmm. want to achieve. But I think these things like the music, like you're talking about and the visuals of when, you know, early on you see him kind of auditioning for Dorothea Williams and he starts playing the piano and it goes into the zone, the, zone, the flow zone, the blue zone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I feel like that does so much work emotionally. So it's intellectually there, but it's also like, watch and listen audience and be swept away by how it feels to be him and i feel like that does so much work to get us invested in well yeah he he's born to play music he has to make it to this concert tonight yeah and i think the movie also does a ton of work just in the first minute you know you have Mm -hmm. him teaching the class and then you have the uh is it connie the the girl yeah yeah, i love her who who she goes into (laughs) the the zone player right yeah Uh, she goes into the zone and he gets excited, uh, but then he and then he gives his little speech about the first time he saw jazz. Then the uh, the other teacher or principal, I don't know if we know who exactly she is, but she comes and says, you're hired full time to work here. And he kind of clearly is not crazy about it. He comes in and he looks at the pictures of the jazz greats on his wall and then cut to his mom saying, great money, good job. And then he gets the call. Hey, we got a gig for you tonight with Dorothea. You know what I mean? Like all in the yeah. first, like seven minutes of the movie or something like that. It's just like it, it just it just hits you not in a bad way, but it just hits you with like this is who this character is. This is what he wants. This is his life, you know. And uh, and yeah, this movie just does it does a lot of things at once all of the time. So you're always getting <laughs> you're always getting story stuff and character stuff and humor and you know so animation. Yeah, yes. exactly. Pixar mm-hmm. way. Yeah, mm-hmm. part of why this movie why I connected to this movie so powerfully, I think both Inside Out and Soul do this really interesting thing where what the character wants is actually what most movies would say the character needs. You know, so most movies would end with him Mm, getting the jazz gig and now Mm. his life is solved. Like, like his life is genuinely solved because he got the gig and now he can play music the rest of his life. And, you know, a, a lesser version of Inside Out would be happiness wins and Riley gets to be happy you know like that is more of the traditional story we are fed Uh, a lot of us were raised on stories where you get the dream job and your life is solved and like now there is this happily ever after thing that happens after getting the thing and what I love about both Inside Out and Soul is it basically points out the lie of that type of story that we've all been raised with and often internalized to the point where we are we are Joe, you know, like I for so long thought that there was some kind of milestone that would come where it's like, if only I can write this script or make this movie or do this thing, then I am going to like feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. And like, I have achieved the thing. And then it's somehow the same from then on. And, you know, life shows you pretty quickly. That's not how it works. And and I think I think it's really beautiful to be giving kids, you know, Pixar is giving kids a more like accurate message of what the good life Mm -hmm. is, which is the good life is you can't have happiness without sadness and sadness is okay to feel and you shouldn't be pushing it away. And in soul, it's not that you're 
you know, you're only worthy if you achieve some external occupation or dream, you are worthy just being alive. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, so that what a cool thing that Pete Doctor is doing, where he's taking the usual cutoff point for most movies and moving it to the crisis, as opposed to the, you know, finale. Right. Yeah, well, he's using sort of cultural myths to like almost against themselves or like Mm -hmm. because thinking about what you were saying about the exposition, Brian, like no one ever tells Joe that his spark is a purpose. That's like Mm -hmm. an inference that he makes on his own. And and we make too because it just sort of seems yeah this is exactly what i'm saying like <laughs> because when we when we start to go okay well what is a spark because there's the, the expository work that you're talking about where like we've seen how much he really wishes to be like we know how good he is for one at and how talented he is as a musician but also just how much he longs to be a like professional musician rather than a teacher which i have my own sort of problems with having been a teacher for a while there's a little <laughs> bit of i don't know we can touch on that later <laughs> teaching is a very fulfilling profession i just want to say that <laughs> right <laughs> anyway yeah we know that Joe really, really is dissatisfied in that role um, for whatever reason, because he thinks that he is destined to do something else and he longs to do something else. So we carry that over when he goes into the great before and they're trying to explain to him, like, here's what your job is as a mentor. You have to help all of these new souls find their spark. You know, the the various methods that they take him through to like, here's the hall of everything. Try being an astronaut. Try uh-huh. being the president. Try all of this Man. stuff. <laughs> Visually, they're conveying so- a message that is reinforcing an assumption that right. Joe is operating under, right. that we are also operating under at that time because the movie has lured us in to this myth. And it doesn't take a lot of luring because we're Americans. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> your job is your reason for yep. right, like, exactly. being okay yeah. as a person. Your yeah. productivity and your career are the only reason you have value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> American, America, Americans. Either way. <laughs> All of us. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is part of you know, th- sort of this base level of like psychology that kind of we have, or that is the water we're swimming in, if I can put right. it that way. Right. And so the movie is using that in the same way that you're talking about, Alex, where it's like, no one wants to feel sad. So we're like, yeah, let's, we're totally on board with joy. Like, that's the right thing to want. Wanting to be a jazz musician, that's the right thing for Joe to want. And it's, it's hijacking that and making us interrogate something much deeper in ourselves. And doing it through both the structure, but also, yeah, the expository work where it's like, no one ever actually said to you the word purpose. Mm -hmm. You said the word purpose, Joe, right? It sneaks it in that way. Yeah. And I think this is a movie where I don't know if it has like a capital M midpoint. But the the middle of the movie Michael is, disagrees. Us. Michael has a midpoint in mind. <laughs> I th- well, I think there is, but I think what's interesting is the words that I will say now, which is that um, at the middle is the the barbershop with Des, where Des, you know, whereas that first time that we as the audience and Joe get this glimpse of no, the thing I the thing I'm good at is not necessarily by purpose or the thing that I wanted to do mm-hmm. is not necessarily what makes me happy. You know, this sort of like, hey, it's a little more complicated than you think. For that reason, it's the midpoint. But then it's sort of like it keeps going from there because then immediately after is sort of it's 22's midpoint where she mm-hmm. is 
you know, experiencing the world and just having a nice time, just, you know, eating like whatever and playing on the, in the window with her reflection, <laughs> laying down on the grate and whatever. And then it goes to the mom scene where Joe talks, you know, if, I'm afraid if I had uh, died tonight, life would have amounted to nothing. Then uh, you have Richard Iwati's Jerry saying a spark isn't a soul's purpose. You have Dorothea mm -hmm. saying this, the, the fish story, you know, this, this is water. What I want is the ocean. And it's sort of like, it's like, once you open that thematic idea, yeah. then every scene after that, it's like the first half of the movie is setting up this world and this story. And the second half is we're going to introduce this spark, forgive me, of an idea. And then every scene after that is going to build on it and like wrestle with that theme and sort of keep keep hammering home that that sort of thesis. Jeepers, Brian, it sounds like that's a midpoint. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. But what I'm saying is, is a lot of midpoints are like, here's yeah. everything in one right. scene. This is like, right. here's the little idea. It, like it right. is the new truth as a midpoint is, but then it's sort of like everything comes boom, boom, boom after that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. And I picked up on that more watching it the second time when I mm -hmm. was kind of structurally following things. And I feel like that midpoint is where there's a ton of similarities with Inside Out. And then as you're saying, the things that follow, I think, is kind of where it changes mm -hmm. um, and, and is dissimilar from Inside Out because there's that midpoint where just like an Inside Out, you know, there's a, a problem at hand and Joy's plan because Bing Bong is crying. And so Joy's like, I'm going to be joyous at you until you stop crying, but it doesn't right. work. And then it's sadness that just comes and like listens to him and lets him be sad that like solves the problem. Right. And then afterward, Joy has this moment of like, wait, how did you do that? And then something else happens that distracts her and stops her mm -hmm. from learning the lesson all the way. And in the barbershop scene, it's kind of a similar thing where Joe is like, you know, go in, don't say anything, like just play it cool, like blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And instead, 22 is like, I'm going to throw out all the rules and I'm the king in the chair and like behaves in this totally different way. And so suddenly there's this whole other outcome and you have that that little spark of that truth of like, and and similar to Inside Out, afterward, Joe's like, how did you do that? Like, how did you get mm -hmm. that reaction? Those two moments are very similar. But then, like you're saying, Brian, from there, it kind of becomes every scene is about, like, reinforcing this idea. And I think part of it is that, like you were saying, this is almost like a, a almost dual protagonist-y story where it's also mm -hmm. about 22 changing. Whereas, like, Inside Out isn't right. so much about sadness changing. It's like... She, she becomes valued and like validated, right. which is right. neat. But kind of inside out, the other subplots are like Riley's running away and Mindy Kaling and Bill Hader are having fun up in headquarters. <laughs> uh, and so it's, there's just interesting structural similarities there and differences where there's Terry searching for them as like a subplot. But otherwise, it's about Joe and then 22 both having their own kind of character journeys and how they influence each other, which is really interesting. It's my thoughts on the midpoint. Soul is having to do more work. Like it it just has to do more plot because it has two protagonists essentially. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think it creates a little bit of a disjointed experience where Joe is our our protagonist for sure. Um, we start with him, we we end with him and everything. Mm -hmm. And definitely 22 is there to be a foil, right? Joe wants nothing more than to get back to Earth, to get back to living and get back to his body. And 22 wants nothing to do with any of that because 22 does not want to live. So you have this secondary character, but 22 does have their own journey. And I think because of that, you end up 
at least I ended up feeling like, who am I with? you know, during different moments of this. Mm-hmm. And there are some genre shifts in here that I that I think exacerbate that feeling where there's a some whiplash. At least I was experiencing some whiplash the first time I watched it where I'm like, okay, now we're in abstract world. Now we're in a body switch comedy in the middle of right. this movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's, right? There's some pretty intense genre shifts that reminded me a lot of Up. And I don't mm-hmm. think Inside Out has those. Up does have that kind of like- right. Phases really abrupt, where, yeah. yeah, really abrupt <laughs> phases where we're moving through and moving through into and the movie becomes something else. I think ultimately Pete Doctor is so good at theme that he can tie anything together where it's like we have three different movies in Up and somehow they're all one movie because Pete Doctor is just that good at theme. Um, and I think that he totally achieves that with Soul. But I will say you have the dual protagonists, you have all of these like genre sort of switches and tonal shifts and changes, different styles of animation, which just, you know, just on the surface, like your mm-hmm. eyes, like, what am I looking at? And we talked about the music and how we're, we're switching between different modes. It does ultimately all hang together, but it doesn't feel as cohesive as say something like Inside Out does. Yeah, I, I was going to say that on my, on my first viewing I was most unsure of the movie in that middle part where I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. where is this going? And like, there's a, this is a lot. Like we, we introduced, like you said, the whole abstract world. And now it is like this freaky Friday premise, which I wasn't right. expecting. And there's so much happening. And I think oftentimes I basically forgive everything. If the sure. end of the movie <laughs> sticks the landing, <laughs> right. like that's, it's one of those movies where like I, in, during the first viewing, I was kind of, I don't know. I don't know about all this, but it, Pete Doctor, like you said, he manages to tie it all together where it all feels like it was necessary by the end to get us to the place that made me cry and was like, that's the best thing ever. So so it, it's it's an interesting bumpy ride that ultimately I forgive all because he got me where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the body switch was my least favorite part of the movie. I think just once it happened, I just kind of thought, oh, we're we're doing this. Like it just sort of felt like so much else of the movie was, I've never seen this before. This is great. And then it was right. like, Oh, okay. We're doing this thing that I've seen a thousand times, and maybe that's what it is. It's not as novel as it's a the, lot it's of the, the rest most of the familiar movie. trope mm-hmm. in the movie, right? Yeah, and and you know, it does get you the barber scene. It does get you the the right. the freaking monologue to the mom where the camera starts on the cat oh, and it spins so around cool. her head. Oh, yeah. That's great. Um, and uh, and you know, and it does get you as you were saying, Alex. Like it earns the well. She walks a mile in his shoes, and then his epiphany is recalling her memories as him and how she felt and that kind of thing so right. like it all it all works but i think it was just at least the external idea of it was just kind of like oh okay we're we're doing this it's mm-hmm. fine you know yeah second time through it all played very smoothly for me because i knew what to expect but mm-hmm. i also had that same feeling the first time around where i was like a little bit disappointed first of all i wasn't sure how long we were going to be Right. in soul world mm-hmm. i was like oh are we just not going back to earth anymore uh and then <laughs> they do but now there's this body switch thing and i think kind of like to your point that you were saying earlier trisha the world of new york is so well rendered mm. literally almost and, almost know, photo real, almost photorealistic the backdrops are like that looks like just a real shot of new york yeah. And just and, you know, the way the characters are portrayed, like they all feel very real, very believable and very relatable. And so I I had trouble connecting to the cat the first time around because the cat <laughs> is so cartoony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And right. It, yeah, just like I liked Joe so much 
as mm-hmm. both him and the soul version of him that then when there was like the cat version of him, it was like there was so many versions. Was, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of like distance created. Again, the second time it all was much more smooth, but it is interesting that that the movie is changing constantly and having to do these kind of like back flips to set up the moment where it all does come together and and, and is very powerful ultimately, for sure. And I think there's a comedic thing that, in the body switch section where it it sort of it feels like it downshifts into a lot of physical comedy mm-hmm. that I didn't feel like it needed to, but I'm an adult, right? So like <laughs> right. there's a lot of stuff for kids in there. Like when I watched it again, yes. I'm like, this is for the kids. There's like the cat butt is in his face and he like reacts to it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And thinking back to something like Inside Out, I don't know if Inside Out ever goes for the like like strictly physical joke in the same way that this movie really does some of the other emotions maybe Mm -hmm. yeah this movie just goes for like isn't it funny like 22 doesn't know how to like move the body around so he's running into walls and stuff and he like doesn't have pants like that's just (laughs) it it is very just like physical sort of comedy and i'm not trying to say that physical comedy well done which i think this is isn't like a really valid form of comedy or enjoyable to watch because it is right. But it is really different than something like the comedy as we see it played out in the soul world. Right. Kind of thing Mm -hmm. that is a little bit more like intellectual and like Joe doesn't understand what's happening. And there's these like sort of metaphysical concepts that are like metaphysical jokes that are (laughs) a a little more heady. It's very sophisticated. Right. There's more like clever adults. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I also think there's there's almost like a sitcominess to like, oh, we we shaved our head by accident and we ripped our pants yeah. where it's like we got into another kerfuffle and we got to get ourselves out of it. But again, that gets you to the barber. That gets you to the right. scene with the mom. So it's like I, I get it. But it was I think it was like the body switching and those little mishaps sort of felt like, oh, I'm not really watching this like existential, you know, <laughs> thought provoking movie anymore. I am watching this like act two screwball comedy kind of thing but again that that does earn you all the things that then pay off in the end right and then inside out the middle act the whole second act of it because it's still in like the head you know like riley's head Mm -hmm. it's just over on the other side of the cliff or the some Mm -hmm. (laughs) islands of personality (laughs) um there's still that that novel feeling of like we don't know what this world is Mm -hmm. whereas you know just part of the side effect of setting this in the real world which as i said i think is so impressive and beautiful and i think the specificity is what gives it its emotionality that said it doesn't have the novel sort of factor that you get from the middle act of Inside Out where you're just like, what is it? We, if we cut through this thing, we're going to turn into abstract shapes. Like we have to take the train of thoughts, right? Like those yeah. fun sort of little set pieces that manage to still really sparkle in the second act of Inside Out. Like you're dealing with subways and, 
you know, pizza and yeah, and, like, <laughs> and yeah, and ripped pants. Which mm-hmm. so you're making a trade off as you're approaching this story. Like, let's ground it and really make it about a person and about like humankind mm-hmm. and, and the human experience. But if we're going to have people as protagonists, we're going to be in the real world, which means we're going to have to deal with some real world just stuff, which sometimes isn't <laughs> quite as fun to watch as yeah, no. fish or or fl- flying houses, mm-hmm. right? But that pizza was rendered so... (laughs) Michael is all about this pizza slice. I've just never seen a piece of pizza look that real before. Honestly, I want to eat pizza right now. I want to eat that (laughs) pizza. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm sure the challenge with making a movie about mortality uh, for kids... uh, (laughs) For families. For families. Why don't they just call it mortality for kids? (laughs) Pixar. Mortality for kids. You know, balancing the heaviness of it. And yeah. we talked about this in A Christmas Carol, but the Muppet Christmas Carol episode. I think this movie does a similar thing where it doesn't pull any punches when, mm-hmm. you know, Joe dies and you see yeah. the great beyond. It's like, that's that's the end. That's like, death, that is yeah. nothingness mm-hmm. ahead of you. And like even the sound effects of like the zaps are right. like just friendly enough to not be like horrifying but are still like run away from the zap yes right. do not want to be zapped it's like your personality as you know it will be zapped away right. regardless right. of whatever yeah. happens on the other side of that thing something's getting zapped right yeah. and the lost souls like you mentioned earlier brian Scary. like are terrifying no. you know the first right. lost soul where he's just like repeating some sound that you can't the sound you know, design yeah like, yes yeah. is the music and sound design in a lot of the soul world was so powerful and yeah. um, they were willing to get very unnerving with it which i really respect yeah <laughs> right and even just it pays off in moments where you know they're they're surfing through the dark soul land or whatever. And Joe looks out and it's like, there's so many like lost souls here. Like even just like saying that like is very powerful and intense, but I feel like they do a good job of going to the dark place, making that powerful and then immediately following it up with some kind of joke. Like yeah. even when mm-hmm. the souls are being thrown around or knocked around, as soon as they like fall on the ground, they're like laughing, laughing and, and having fun. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's uh, a nice back and forth of going to the dark place, but then like swing us back, make us laugh. So it's okay. And that lets you have that, that full spectrum of emotions set up so that in that crisis moment, when he is having his epiphany and remembering what it means to be alive and what's important and all those things it can like swing you all the way back to those that that heavy place like it's it's earned Mm -hmm. the weight of that epiphany and speaking of the sound design and the crisis point 22's crisis point which is different of course than joe's is really intense like it's the stuff of nightmares where (laughs) You're hearing all of the negative things people have said to 22 and you're hearing that them in her voice where she's mm-hmm. but it's like mm-hmm. it's this distorted version of her own voice where and we're literally inside of the whirlwind of that <laughs> soul. Right. It is really dark, but a, an incredible visual of like self doubt and self. um, Yeah, just like her own sort of internalization of all the negative things that people have put on her and like told her that, you know, she can't 
she can't be who she is or she's not worthy, like all of that stuff. She has no purpose. Oh, it's awful. And and the fact that she is the one saying it, we don't get like echoes of other people's voices. It's like she's mm-hmm. repeating, she herself is repeating those lines. Right. Right. It's, it is a really, really like, yeah, I think that you have to, Yes, you have to. You have to have humor. <laughs> the answer is yes. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I don't know how you sit through that. That's the scene that, like, I don't want to watch again. You know, like it's hard to sit through. What you're talking about is what Pete Doctor has shown himself to be so incredible at, which is taking ideas that you wouldn't think could ever be visualized. You know, everything in Inside Out is is this amazing like experiment, and can we like uh, both personify and visualize these completely abstract concepts about the mind and emotions and psychology. And I think he does, he attempts to do an even more ambitious thing in soul, which is even more abstract, like spiritual ideas about Mm -hmm. what is purpose? Like, why am I here? Like, why am I alive? Can we actually create like a cutesy world in the soul world that like gets at some of those ideas and personifies them and uh, gives them rules the same way Inside Out had a bunch of rules that kind of operated in that world. It's such an incredible feat that he accomplishes. He makes it feel kind of easy and just it just flows and you just buy it. But that's really hard. How do you how do you take concepts this abstract and create metaphors that actually work and don't feel off? Because because even things like the um, I don't know if it's like the astral plane where there there is both mm-hmm. the you know, zone people in the zone and the people who are lost. Like, uh, he he even has these you know spiritual guru types that are surfing mm-hmm. the astral I love, plane. I love, it <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's so great. Like he he did it all. He took all these different kind of ideas from you know the the world of the spiritual and found the you know the inside out equivalent metaphor for this movie. So. I'm not even sure what the lesson is there because it's a very specific lesson to these like Pete Doctor enterprises, but he is just he does it so well. Yeah, and that scene uh, that I'm talking about with the the whirlwind and the sand that you know the sort of lost souls are made out of really, which is like this dark, you know, um, Mm -hmm. feels like they're no longer constrained to this little soul form that they were in, but it becomes this consuming force, right? This this sense of like lostness. That visualization really reminded me of the console shutting down and going dark in mm. in Inside Out yeah. because it's that same visualization of I don't need it. explain to me why this is bad. Like visually, <laughs> right. right? Visually, it's doing the work of creating that this you know emotional experience, this sense of dread. Just incredible props to him and mm. and the writers and the animators of all of that. It's unreal. Right. I, yeah. I wanted to throw that in. Like, yes, everything you said about Pete Doctor, but like we know enough <laughs> exactly. about the Pixar right. process to know that it's Pete Doctor plus a billion people iterating all sorts of story ideas. Yep. And, you know, Joe was going to die at the end for the longest time. And then they decided not to and to let him have another chance. And they were going to go into the great beyond for a second. And we're like, no, there's no way we can pull that off <laughs> <Nope>. without, you <laughs> know, results. You know, I speculate about the afterlife. <laughs> right. And, and like, you know, he talks about there, there are lots of people on one side of an argument and you kind of have to go back and forth and, and figure out the right thing. And I think that is a huge part of this process. It's not just one brilliant mind. It's it's Absolutely. several brilliant minds yes. just working together. To f- many, to, many. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because he had a co-director right. and Kemp Powers. Uh, Kemp Powers and, you know, there were three writers on the team. And he talks about in you know interviews that I've listened to with him. 
you know, he's he's very open about that and how collaborative the process is. You know, in an interview with Kent Powers, he was saying that animation at Pixar is so different than writing a normal screenplay because, you know, normally it's a more lonely process. You're alone in a room banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how to do this thing. And in animation, you're kind of writing it while people are drawing it and while they're making animatics and storyboards. And so there's this kind of ongoing collaborative group creative process that lets you iterate and refine and test. And I want that process to spread to more of the film industry. Mm -hmm. There are some clear just external reasons why movies are made the way that they are, you know, locations. You can't go back to a location every three months when you're like, actually, what if we tried it this way? Like it's, it's a lot harder to do that thing. But I do think I'm curious to see with new advances in technology, like the way they shoot a lot of the Mandalorian with these like digital sets where it is just, you can be in one place and load up a set and then shoot a scene. Like, is there a future in the next few years where movies can or TV shows can have more of like an iterative creation process. And so mm-hmm. it's less of a like someone quickly write a script because we got a release date and then let's pour all our resources <laughs> on to this gamble of yep. a movie and hope that it's good. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> could you be talking about? <laughs> I don't know. What maybe, maybe we'll mention it when we get to what we're watching um, <laughs> or not. Uh, anyway, I just think it's, it's a really interesting mode of creating and i wish it was easier to implement in live action movies it obviously works (laughs) like pixar their track record is so excellent it's like their process is doing something right yeah their average is above average Yeah, yeah and and something that you're talking about which is just like the length of time that pixar develops which is right a really long time Pixar Mm -hmm. develops stories and ideas for a really, really long time. And because they're at the top of their game and they always like and in the top of their field and they always have been, that's part of what creates what has like bought them the like, well, we're not ready yet. So we're going to wait where, you know, a lot of other studios and creatives don't have that luxury just because the beast has to be fed. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Unfortunately. So um, really appreciate that about like Pixar's entire philosophy of Mm -hmm. filmmaking, which is take, take the amount of time it takes. And often they they have also the excuse or the opportunity to develop new animation, right. To go along with it. So it's like, we're technologically doing something that has never been done before. So that does take time. And then we are also doing, because they're really committed to advancing the field, but it's like, also, we're doing story things that take time in development and like, yeah, need all of this other, you know, input, you know, and, and the process of refining ideas because ideas need to be refined. <laughs> yes. Yes. They they take care. Which yes. Is great. They do. Last thing I want to bring up, which is maybe a little personal, but just so the, the theme that I resonate. Well, and there's kind of there's kind of two things themes I feel like in this movie is also something that I like many bumped on because I feel like Joe has a realization and 22 has a realization and they're similar but to me they felt slightly different and and maybe it's kind of what I'm bringing to it also but for me I really liked Joe's realization as we've been talking about where the thing that you think will make you happy at some point 
will just become normal. Like, I think that's a truth of existence that isn't acknowledged enough. Mm -hmm. And I think it can have disastrous consequences for people and their emotional stability. And I was recently reading Yuval Noah Harari's Amadeus, and he talks about, you know, this idea of what is happiness? And could there have ever been a life form that just knew complete bliss for forever? Mm -hmm. And so he posits like, maybe there was a squirrel that was born one day, and its brain was wired so that with the first nut that it found, it was just unending bliss and happiness <laughs> for the rest of its very short life because once you are completely fulfilled you have no need to then go out and search for more and keep surviving and stuff and so it's kind of getting at this idea of like humans are sort of wired to never be truly content mm-hmm. and i think it's that's not a thing we're kind of comfortable exploring and so i love that this movie explores that and i think as creators i think it's a a thing that we all kind of wrestle with so i'm Mm -hmm. i kind of just want to know like is that a thing you guys think about is that a thing you've tackled and how do you how do you deal with it very much so for me uh we did a um patreon q a i think last month where i talked about what i like quit my job and i just wrote a screenplay and spent like two months doing that and it's like the emotional dividends that have paid off from that experience are incredible but there wasn't a day where i just thought i felt like i'm living the dream i'm doing the thing it just was like no i'm i'm doing it i'm doing some work you know and and like that was a, a cool lesson to learn but i also think another thing that i've learned as i get older just over the past few years of my life is just like there are things that I love like this and writing and music and, and these things. And if I don't do anything creative for a long enough period of time, I definitely miss it and I feel like something's wrong. But I've also just learned to enjoy the hell out of taking a walk or listening to a song or having a meal or sitting on the patio with my partner and a drink and just kind of enjoying life and, and just appreciating these little things. And I think that was that was the thing with this movie that just really that just really spoke to me was if you are if you can sort of separate yourself from I need to do this and you know if I don't get this done today then everything's gonna be wrong or if I until I get this I'm not gonna be happy and just like there's a lot of good stuff out there and just it's especially a good lesson for 2020 where it's like there there are a 1000 things around your house that can bring you <laughs> that can bring you joy you don't have to go and hit the bar or you don't have to go and see a concert those things are great and i miss those things so much but there's just there's so much to enjoy uh about just the little things in life yeah it's interesting because i don't know if i quite resonated as much with that side of the theme which i think you're right about michael that that it's in there and I wished there had been more of this, but the idea that life is a robust collection of experiences and not so much that there's dissatisfaction in what you want to do, but just that there's satisfaction in all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. like the fact that Joe, you know, and I, I understand for plot reasons why it had to go this way, but he was so quickly dissatisfied after the greatest night of his life. <laughs> right. like, it does happen pretty like, quick. Yeah. <laughs> Take a second, buddy. You had a great night. <laughs> Um, and like you just started being a professional musician, <laughs> you, like it's, it's going to feel novel and great and for a while, but I get it like, but not so much that things that we love get old. Cause I don't know if I necessarily agree. Like if you are lucky enough to, you know, actually make a career out of doing something that you love, I don't know if Joe would ever wake up one day and go like, actually, I don't want to be a jazz musician. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that the theme is more nuanced where it's not, he's learning that like 
he might get that thing and it's it's these other experiences in life that create a fuller picture of what it what a spark is right what it means to like love and uh, um love being alive and so i sort of wished that you know the lovely lovely montage um that we get at the crisis point where he's sitting at the piano and he starts having all of these other memories where he's like playing with his dad and he's on the beach and like all of these other things in his life that montage where we start to come to understand playing jazz does bring him joy it's not that jazz is dissatisfying or that being a musician is dissatisfying it is part of it though it's not all of it and so I kind of wished at the end we'd gotten another montage of yeah. like, mm. and I wished for a montage, like a curtain call montage from everybody where like we would see people that we had come to love throughout the movie doing other things that also bring them joy. So like, I would have loved to see Des the barber playing with his daughter. Like mm -hmm. I would have loved to see, like uh, some of his students, like his student Connie, doing something other than playing the trombone that still makes her really happy. You know, and some mm -hmm. of these other things where I was like, I would have wished to to like flesh out that side of the theme a little more because I think that that, that was the part that I, that really struck me. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong. Like I still think it's a home run of a movie, but I just think that like, I didn't resonate so much with the, even things you love, you'll grow tired of side of it. I think that I think that I just wanted more of the there are all kinds of things to love, you know, and, mm -hmm. and your career can be one of them. You can love your career and then you can also love being on the beach and all these things that you just said, Brian. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I really wanted a flash forward where we see Joe, you know, 10 years later and he's still doing his thing and he's and he's enjoying it. And then he sees like a 10 year old girl with a lollipop catching one of those floating things. and He realizes it's uh 22 and they don't they don't say anything to each other or anything like that he just kind of gets it and he's like ah oh, cool i was so sure that the final shot of this movie was going to be 22 opening her eyes as a baby i was so right. sure of it mm -hmm. and that wasn't it and maybe pete doctor is a lot smarter than me and, did, and didn't go that direction or, or whatever but well because then you'd have to like pick which baby she was and this way it's right. like I mean, I get it. There, there are some like yeah. logistical things you have to signal to us visually in some way that it's her. But they already gave her those like rosy cheeks, and I'm like, you could have done that on a baby where we would know it's her. Like, I don't know. It would have been, <laughs> it would have been whatever. It would have been a different right. ending, I guess, and and sort of reinforcing right. the side of the theme that I think I just like really, really responded to. Mm -hmm. But real quick, the thing about the like even things you love will get old. I think to me, that was just a sort of meditation on diminishing returns, which is just a physiological certainty that like you something you enjoy right now, if you do it every day or if you do it every five minutes, it, it's going to be less enjoyable. It doesn't mean it's not still something you like. I still like pizza, but there's a reason you don't eat pizza once an hour. You know, it's just <laughs> like that would stop being enjoyable real quick. And but I think that's also why it's unfortunate that for for pacing reasons it was just after that first show right it had to be kind of quick yeah 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 right instead of being like hey how come the second night didn't feel quite as good as for you know right that doesn't mean it's always worse it just means that you sort of have these expectations of what a thing is going to be and then it and, and then maybe it doesn't quite match that and then maybe you realize that like hey this wasn't the thing it's 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 desire versus need it's Oh, this wasn't the thing that I that I actually needed. That was just what I wanted, and and it could be great, 
And I agree with you, Tricia, that like they could have done more work to show like he, he genuinely does love this, but they also had to show that right. he didn't that that it wasn't everything. Yeah. So there's a great interview with um, Kent Powers in this Disney Plus series Inside Pixar, which Michael shared on Twitter, I believe. Um, and he or maybe maybe this was from the podcast. I mean, the next step There's also a Soul <laughs> Stories podcast on Spotify. So now I don't know which one it's from. Anyway, in one of these <laughs> in one of these stories, they talk about Trent Reznor was seeing some early kind of animatics or moving storyboards of the, of the movie. And they were kind of worried, like, oh, he's, is he going to hook into this? Like, is, is it going to make sense to him? You know, it, it's so early in the... He started just smashing the computers. <laughs> <laughs> but he walked out of the scene, that, that, that exactly that scene, the jazz club scene where he's kind of deflated after the show instead of what you would expect, mm. which is like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Let's do it again. It's like, it was amazing, but it didn't, like solve my life <laughs> you know like there's there's a weird mm -hmm, right there's a weird like ineffable expectation of like once i get the thing like once i win an academy award then like my life yeah. will feel better now in general forever right. somehow i will have fulfilled my purpose right and that'll be it yeah right. and trent reznor said that he had this idea in his head of like once i play like a sold out stadium show like mm -hmm. i've made it that's it and he said he he had the exact same feeling that even same night when everybody just like went home and it was like, okay, like see you tomorrow. Like that was that like mm -hmm. life goes on. Like he had the same like sinking feeling of like, wait a minute, this was supposed to like fix me or just make me complete. And I still feel the same way as I felt yesterday. And I think mm -hmm. that that is what this movie captures so well, which is a real phenomenon that I think when you put so much on one thing, like I, I agree with you, Trisha, you know, I think anytime I get to like, be on a film set and like work on a project I'm excited about that doesn't get old. Like that is exciting and awesome and fun. Yeah. But like, I'll still go home at the end of the day and like my like general sense of life isn't going to be profoundly changed forever because I got to work on a movie that day. Like it'll be a great mm -hmm. part of life, but it isn't everything. And, and I think that's why, yeah, I connected to this theme so powerfully because I definitely was that kid who decided he was going to be a filmmaker and once I achieved like a Steven Spielberg, like impossible status of filmmaker, then I would have like fulfilled my purpose in life. And I think it it took a lot of life happening to kind of like shake me out of that idea and be like, no, 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 your life is happening right now. And it's so many other things besides filmmaking. And like, maybe these are actually the things that on your deathbed. I mean, I think it's really important for a movie like Soul to to have mortality front and center because yeah ultimately that is that is always the deathbed lesson is what do you wish you had more time to do it usually isn't my job usually it's like i want to be with my family some more i want to go to this place that i love so much i want to taste this food again these like little things that while you're living life seem just like oh yeah like that's just the thing people do like the way joe talks to 22 he's like stargazing and walking those are just those aren't purposes those are just things but ultimately that's what you're gonna miss you know looking you know looking at the sky is a precious thing that you can do any day anytime but you'll miss it mm -hmm. perhaps on your deathbed so i i think the movie just worked for me through and through because i i was able to plug into that almost pathological attachment to like the thing mm. like you know, the one jazz show is going to save my life or make me feel completely different forever afterwards. 
And when it doesn't, right. it's like, wait a minute, what's wrong? Like, I fulfilled my purpose. Like, it's supposed to like click now. Right. And I also really love the way the movie ends because I was expecting him to actually go into the great beyond. I'm like, all right, we're going to go here. Like, yeah. we're going to go beyond Toy Story 3. They're going to go into the incinerator. <laughs> we're going to do it. But I actually really like the choice to invite him back to his life because that ultimately is the purpose of Joe's journey is right. to show him how to live the rest of his life, which is, I think, what does he say? Enjoying every minute of it or living every minute of it. Yeah. Um, not even mm-hmm. enjoying, but just like living. he's actually going living, to be yeah. present, aka living uh, every moment from here on out, as opposed to kind of obsessively thinking about where he wishes he could be. Right. Um, right. And, and so I, for me, you need that ending where it stays with Joe because that's ultimately what the whole movie was about for me was we have this hero's journey idea of life, but it's actually jazz. You know, you're actually just jazzing. And, you know, jazz is not <laughs> mm-hmm. about a beginning, middle and end as much as, you know, it's just about imp- improvisation. So, yeah, it obviously all worked for me. It's a favorite <laughs> Pixar movie. Home run. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for sharing. Because I think I'm also one of those creator people. And I think it's good for... I wish younger me could have learned this lesson mm-hmm. earlier. And so I think for people that are listening that are creators that are putting all your eggs in the if I accomplish X, I will be happy for forever. You quite possibly are going to miss the things along the way that are going to make you happy and probably also make you a better creator. Um, like, right. I, know, I right. think being too stuck on getting this one thing done um, can yeah, have adverse effects. On, on your actual learning and enjoying the process. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the subtle lesson. You know, it's a, it's very subtle, but it's in there, which is that Joe is in the zone, right? When he is accessing and thinking about all of these, you know, he's playing his best when mm-hmm. he is most embodied and present. In, in that moment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly what you're saying of just all of life. If you don't live your life, you won't have anything to create about. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's actually a huge problem for young filmmakers. And there's this phenomenon of almost all student films like begin with an alarm clock going off and like the protagonist getting up and like brushing his teeth or whatever. And right, right. It's, it's because there's almost like in college, you've like lived at your parents' house. And now you've like lived in a dorm and you don't really know like what life is yet. <laughs> and I, I ran into that early on that I was having trouble actually coming up with good original content because I had focused so much on like LA film career stuff. I hadn't like lived much life outside of that bubble. And there's only so many like LA movie movies you want to see. Uh, so it's really important for creators to, to live a lot of life outside of their, you know, profession or their goal driven career path. Like we need you to have other experiences to actually communicate to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from Soul? Trisha. I just want to return a little bit to what we spent some time talking about, which is the visualization of like feelings, essentially, and how good Pixar is at that. And this movie is in particular at that. And it really reminded me of poetry. Um, I don't know if you guys read or write a lot of poetry. Uh, I really love reading and writing poetry. It's not my strongest suit, but it's a good exercise. Uh, But the entire sort of concept behind poetry is comparison, where you're saying this feeling I'm having is like this. And then you're 
you're creating an image, right? That is comparing these two things and and the meaning is drawn in that comparison. And that's what Pixar is so good at, at doing visually, right? We talked about this in the V for Vendetta podcast where we were talking about visualizing and like what symbols are and why symbols are so meaningful to us. It's the same thing. It's visual poetry. And yeah, just like the sandstorm of self-doubt is a, <laughs> a, a you know a piece of poetry yes. that is visualized that doesn't require any further explanation. And so I think that that's, you know, obviously I don't write animation. Have I ever? Maybe one time. It's not typically <laughs> what I write. But uh, just saying that like poetry is maybe a way into if you're having trouble visualizing something, just sit in your feeling for a minute and then try to think about what it feels like in sort of like a poetic or abstract sense. And it might help you discover that symbol. I think that that is something I was experiencing while watching this. It's It speaks directly into your soul. It's not intellectual, right? right. It's Yeah, it's yeah. just this symbolic representation. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of was my takeaway too. And, and I think what I'm just like super jealous of about like people that are artists like that and that can draw ideas and like render these kind of ineffable feelings in some physical form or like you're saying in poetry like I think that's so beautiful and we need that and it is also just useful as a storyteller to be able to tap into that understand it and then as you're saying communicate it to people for emotional reasons but also I think just for even plot reasons like yeah the like we were saying earlier about showing how much he loves jazz. Like it could have just been a shot of him playing the piano and being very happy while doing it. But instead it goes into the sort of synesthesia of colors and sounds and like all this, like there's all this extra information to convey mm-hmm. how this person feels about it. And it made me think of inside Lewin Davis actually, because when we talked about that, there were moments where, you know, I'm not super into folk music. So when, Oscar Isaac was playing there were moments where I was like I think he's good is he is he supposed to be good I'm not like <laughs> like he's probably good but I, like I wasn't on super sure footing with that and I think a lot of people don't listen to jazz yeah. and right, probably right. you know you need to make that accessible and so play the beautiful music but also use all these Show other tools to, to like yeah. right really mm-hmm. convey that and I think this movie does a, a brilliant job of that from start to finish mm-hmm. Brian what about you what's your lesson um, so we talked about, uh, or I talked about the exposition that the movie does at the very beginning. Um, but then you have the soul world exposition where it has to sort of ex- exposit all over again. Um, which is sort of, it reminded me of the Jurassic Park, the matrix minority report, you know, movies. the sort of all the best <laughs> movies, movies we've talked about recently and talked about the exposition of how do you get this information out there? And I think interestingly, like if you look at the matrix or Jurassic Park, you don't get a ton of character and story work during some of the exposition. It's just, here's some really cool stuff and it's awesome. And you know, you're, you're introducing the world and everything, but what I really like is soul does, you know, it sort of has the matrix and Jurassic park exposition where it's like, we're walking through the world and telling you about it. And they even have the, you know, even a dinosaur, uh, like (laughs) training video, you know, dino dna um and but with each of those scenes you are also getting character and story work 
So you're getting Joe's desire. You're getting how Joe feels about his life when you see the sort of exhibit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're learning who 22 is and what she feels about everything. And basically, it's just like I didn't I didn't actually do the work to see exactly what, you, what each scene is doing. But it was very clear to me that with each scene, we were learning rules about the world. Right. And yeah. we were we were getting character development. We were getting story development. Everything was was always moving the story forward. Yeah, it's extremely impressive. I was paying a special attention to that in the second watch through, and it is just extremely efficient and doing all those things mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah, it's a really great lesson. Alex? I kind of mentioned this a second ago about jazz, because I think one thing that Pixar and Pete Doctor and his team are so good at doing is just having every element in a film serve the theme and kind of represent the theme and the Mm -hmm. core ideas. And so what a great choice to have. If you're going to have a character whose thematic arc is to pursue like this kind of career or this idea of what will make them whole, what they think their purpose is, what better thing to do in a movie about life than to have jazz be the pursuit? Because there's actually uh, a great quote from Alan Watts, who's a philosopher who is kind of credited with bringing a lot of Eastern philosophy, which is this movie is very Eastern in its philosophy yeah. of life. Also stars in Her, the 2013 film. Yes, Alan Watts <laughs> makes a cameo as an AI version of himself in Her. But Alan Watts, he he often talked about, you know, we have this idea of life as a journey with this very important end we have to get to. But he often said the kind of Eastern idea is like, no, it's it's music. It's jazz. It's just this kind of dance we're doing, which, you know, you don't listen to a song just for the ending. Like, you listen to music for the whole thing. And there's not like, you don't go to a concert just to hear the last note played. You're, you're there for the ride. And, and so I love, it's just such a smart choice for them to make a movie about that theme. Also so much about music and particularly yeah. jazz, which is this less structured, more improvisational, more like we're just feeling it. We're just grooving with it. So I think that's just a great lesson of just look at your whole film. If you have a strong you know, thematic core to it. How can every element in the film serve that theme, comment on it, represent it? And, you know, this movie does that through and through the same way Inside Out does and so many Pixar movies do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What have you guys been watching? Brian, what have you been watching recently? Uh, well, after Soul, we wanted to keep the the music train going. So we watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom nice. uh, on Netflix, which is based on the play by August Wilson. I went to I studied theater in Philadelphia, so I got some exposure to August Wilson, but not enough because it's based on a play. It's a very dialogue heavy movie. It's basically just characters in two rooms talking. But the the, the text is great and the direction is great and the performances are so great. It's Viola Davis as Ma Rainey and Chadwick Boseman as Levy, her trumpet player. And what a performance for Chadwick Boseman to go out on. It's possibly the best of his career. I haven't seen everything he's done, but wow. I'd be surprised wow. if it wasn't the, the best performance of his career. I, I'm calling best supporting actor for him for this movie. Outstanding. Viola Davis, best, best actress, like it, hmm. fantastic. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the plot, if you've seen Fences, which is also based mm-hmm. on uh, an August uh, Wilson play, also produced by Denzel, also starring Viola Davis. Similar thing. The camera's just sort of like in the room swimming around as the characters are speaking back and forth. Uh, and it really helps to capture the sort of um, like it's not all one take, but it but it helps you feel like you are immersed in this in this area because 
because we're not cutting away. We're not like that scene's done. We're moving on to we're walking down the street and going here. And uh, and yeah, it's just like I don't even want to say too much about what it's about. But the externally, it's just Bahraini shows up to record a song and the band is rehearsing and they're going to record it. But uh, thematically, it's about so much more than that. And the uh, the final 10 minutes of this movie is gonna stick with me it's it's a top five movie of the year for me for sure wow. nice. i'm watching it tonight yeah. so i am very awesome. excited it's now. on my list too nice. i can't wait nice let me know what you think cool uh trisha what have you been watching yeah so i checked out kajillionaire which is yeah. miranda july's third feature film and i have seen her other two movies and i had mixed feelings about them if you know anything about miranda july she's uh out there and (laughs) (laughs) she's really really interesting um so i i I went into this with like maybe i really will not get this or think it's funny or whatever she could be uh, uncomfortable i'm gonna put it that way where Mm -hmm. like some it's it's hard to know how you're supposed to feel when you're kind of like watching a miranda july movie sometimes yeah um but this one stars uh evan rachel wood richard jenkins gina rodriguez and deborah winger and evan rachel wood plays the adult daughter of Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger, and they're like sort of con artists, but really bad ones um, <laughs> who are are broke and poor. And they they use Evan Rachel Wood to like further their schemes. And she's like sort of emotionally stunted for that reason. And then they meet Gina Rodriguez and she kind of like blows up their whole like little world. It just was I really liked it. It was unexpectedly really moving. Um, and uh yeah i i really recommend it um you can skip <laughs> miranda july's other movies if you want to there's <laughs> there's no like prereqs involved you can just sit down and watch kajillionaire and uh you know it's an offbeat indie movie but you'll have a good time sold awesome yep oh cool alex what about you so i was looking at a lot of like top 10 lists for 2020 just trying to figure out what i missed and what i should worth watching and i kept seeing first cow uh, show up Ooh. on top 10 list mm. by the director Kelly Reichardt. I didn't know much about her as a director. I knew she made like Meek's Cutoff with uh, Michelle Williams and some other indie films. And she's been recommended to me as just like, check her out. She's a really interesting filmmaker. So I watched First Cow and it was put out by A24, which continues the streak for me of like anything A24 puts out <laughs> is worth watching for me. Like I, it's not going to be maybe uh-huh. my favorite movie ever, but I'm going to find it interesting and it's going to just kind of expand my idea of what a movie can be. The, the, I think their selection process or their curation process is so interesting. I never regret watching an A24 movie and first cow, it would be included in that. It's a really, it's not your average film. It's very much, it's, it's shot in this very low fi way four three aspect ratio on very kind of like very tangible kind of grainy film the sound mix is even kind of lo-fi uh so it's it's trying to put you really in a time and place in the kind of the frontier of oregon back when they were just fur trappers and remote <laughs> settlements and it's a really beautiful simple story of a cook who is like just wandering with some fur trappers and a chinese immigrant who decides to like team up to try to like make some baked goods stealing milk from a cow <laughs> and and it, it's a really simple story and it's it's kind of like just sad and slice of life in this interesting way but her filmmaking is so interesting in that it, she just puts you in this like slower pace of life like you're just immersed in this kind of empty frontier environment 
the sounds of nature around you. There's not really much score. It's just kind of like you're just living there with these people in this very simple, different time. And what I found was when the movie finished, I actually felt very relaxed. Like it was the <laughs> rare movie that almost felt like I'd gone for a hike or done something meditative that put my brain in this kind of like chill state. So it was really mm. interesting to to have a cinematic experience that wasn't about thrilling me or pulling me through with twists and turns, but literally was like a massage for my brain of just <laughs> just chill out with these people, just kind of being nice to each other in this like very different time and place where life was very slow. So it's not for everybody. It's not going to give you what you want it's if like you're there. Stressing for- me out. To care about <laughs> but it's, but like if you if you are down to just do more of an experiential film and it and that mm-hmm. would have would have described to you sounds remotely interesting, it's totally <laughs> worth a watch. And there's a reason I think it's on a lot of top ten lists is because it does achieve something really interesting for the audience. Like when you finish the movie, you feel a certain way that most movies don't make you feel. And to me, that's always a worthwhile experience. It's like okay, cool. Like this yeah. technology of cinema did something different to me today. That's always <laughs> that's always worth it in my book. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Nice. Cool. What have you been watching, Michael? So I've been watching a lot of Lord of the Rings, uh, but I can't really talk about that now because we're going to talk about that. coming soon. So soon. soon. But I was also kind of looking at best of lists. And one of the best games of the year is a game called Hades, which is a style of game called a roguelike where you start at the beginning. It's kind of like an arcade game where you start and you play. And when you die, you go back to the beginning. And it's all about trying to make it all the way to the end in a single run. Hmm. And the visual style is not something that I um, immediately gravitate to. So I was expecting to not really like it at all. But I got so hardcore sucked in. It just like ate up two and a half days of my life because there's this really interesting narrative aspect happening at the same time. And it's kind of like I was talking to our producer, Vince Major, about this. And he mentioned uh, kind of like thinking about like Edge of Tomorrow or like mm. these movies or like okay. Groundhog Day where like every day is the same, but each time you're learning something different about the world or the people around it. And so the way the narrative enhances what could be, you know, just a repetitive gameplay machine uh, was really interesting. And you find yourself caring about like characters that you talk to for like 30 seconds before you go and play an hour of this like thing and then you die and come back and then they're like hey you died that's cool but like we're gonna talk about this new thing that you didn't know about so it was a really interesting experience i went in with a lot of doubt and by the end i very much understood why it's winning so many game of the year awards so hades that's what i did that's like outer wilds in that way you know kind of that was kind of my experience too where i i'm i'm not like a deep cut gamer so i'm not really used (laughs) to these other forms of gaming but there's something really interesting and special about games where you know, the game itself doesn't change a whole lot it's you that change like you you learn this world well enough to navigate it to not die <laughs> and to finish <laughs> it in one go which is a really interesting different kind of experience yeah so yeah hades by Supergiant games definitely recommend nice All right. Well, this has been our conversation about Soul. We want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. Beyond the Screenplay is produced by Vince Major, and our editor is Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi. Uh, And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. More the merrier. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. 